Remain standing for just a moment. I'm going to go right to the Word of God today, and I'm going to be reading in Exodus chapter 14. And let me just say that I believe today, I, what, I, what I bring to you, hopefully we will all understand its importance, and I feel that it's important for everyone, but I believe is urgent for someone today. And so I want to read this passage of Scripture, Exodus uh, 14 and verse 4. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's kind of a conversational tone in nature to this translation. And it says, And once again I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Today, the title of my message is What to Do in the Desert. What to Do in the Desert. You can be seated this morning. I want to take you for just a few moments on a journey with the Israelites, the people of God. And if you'll give me a little time, I want to show you kind of from a bird's eye view what is happening uh, during this time around this passage. And, you know, sometimes with preachers, if we speak and we're evaluating another preacher, sometimes we'll say things like, yeah, man, he's a great preacher, but he's got a long runway. And we'll say things like that. Or, you know, uh, he's got a short runway, but man, they just, it just stays out. Or, I don't know why, but we use this airplane analogy sometimes. But, but I just want to let you know, I, I want to share, I want to kind of give you a bird's eye view. So I may seem to have a long runway this afternoon, but if you will just hang with me for a moment, I believe that I want to show some things in the Bible. Because if you're like me, many times uh, hearing hundreds, if not thousands of sermons and messages Sometimes I fall prey to the idea of zeroing in on a single scripture and not really taking in the whole of the story, taking in the whole of the context of what's happening. And so uh, today I I want to do that for just a, a moment. And if you understand the Israelites, these are the people of God. These are God's chosen people. And many times we see ourselves paralleled with the Israelite people. So I believe that as we go on a journey with the Israelites, we'll actually be going on our journey in our life today. And uh, again, I wanted to preface that because I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm going to preach through three books of the Bible today. So I hope that's okay with you. I promise that's not going to dictate how long I preach. But I want to just take you through kind of the arc of this story. And so we're going to look at Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And as I said, the, the Israelites are parallel to us, the people of God. And I believe that we will find ourselves in Israel's journey through the desert, journey through the wilderness. Because I believe there are people... In this room today, that maybe you are right now finding yourself in what you would describe as a spiritual desert. Maybe you are walking through a season of your life that if you were to depict it in one word, it would be a desert, a wilderness. And I believe that we can look at the people of Israel and and learn many things from them. So if I were to rewind from Exodus 14 where we read to Exodus chapter 6, very quickly you can see that. God promises Moses that he will deliver the Israelites. In this time, they're in Egyptian bondage. Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. This is the story of staff turning into a serpent. This is a plague of water into blood. Exodus chapter 8, a plague of frogs upon the people of Egypt. A plague of gnats, a plague of flies. Exodus chapter 9, a plague against their livestock. A plague of boils, a plague of hail. Exodus chapter 10 is a plague of locusts and a plague of darkness. Exodus 12 is the first Passover. The angel of death visits Egypt. In Exodus 12, 29, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons of Egypt. Exodus 12, 31, Pharaoh tells Moses to take his people and go. 
And the Egyptians even urged the Israelites to get out before they all died. Now we see here in these, in these few chapters, God is doing absolutely unbelievable things on the behalf of the Israelites. God is showing himself to be strong and powerful, mighty. He's displaying his power and his glory on their behalf to get them out of bondage. And so if you understand this, you understand how powerful this moment is because Israel had been in bondage for 430 years. But now they have been miraculously freed by the power of God. And let me just tell somebody today that the same God that we read about in this text that delivered the Israelites from 430 years of bondage is the same God that we are singing to and worshiping today and is the same God that has the power to deliver you, to change your life. In fact, is there anybody in this place that has been delivered by the power of God that you could testify to that fact? Has anybody been changed by the power of God today? Have you been redeemed by God's power? Can you just testify with me? Amen. That is my story. That is my story, that I have been delivered. And today, if you need deliverance, you can receive the Holy Spirit today. You can be baptized in the saving name of Jesus today. That promise is for you. That is not just something we read about in a book. That is alive and well and for you here today. So the Israelites have been freed. We continue reading in Exodus. Now they're in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, in Exodus 13 the Bible says that they were literally led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Amazing. Unbelievable. Exodus 14, our key text, which we read. God tells Moses, you know, he says, I'm going to change Pharaoh's mind. The Bible says, harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to change his mind. He lets you go, but he's going to actually chase after you. But he said, you know, this is my plan. I planned this to show my glory. So just stop here. So the people see the Egyptians bearing down on them with 600 chariots. They're afraid. Moses says, well, let's just, God has told us to do this. He parts, God parts the Red Sea through Moses. They walk through on dry ground, and that same sea swallows up the Egyptians. The Bible said not a single one survived. Exodus 15 contains a song written by Moses and the people unto God, thanking him for his deliverance. Now, just pause right here. Think about all the amazing things that we just referenced. How wild would it be? It rained a little bit this morning, walking through the parking lot to our vehicle. How wild would it be if I just pointed at the ground and it just parted up for me and walked through on dry ground? Wild. But we see thing after thing, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, deliverance, all this stuff. But look what we see in Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 24. Look at this. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, you will do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees. I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Amazing. Here, God gives the people a little test, but then he gives them a promise by reminding them, just listen to what I say, do what I tell you to do, and you won't suffer, I will heal you. Yet another miracle, another miraculous sign of God's power in the lives of the people of Israel. Now, this is an interesting contrast to what we've just seen. And we see it's a, 
the beginning of a pattern that's going to continue to unfold in the hearts of the people. Exodus chapter 16, guess what we see? Yes, another incredible, miraculous move of God. But it also contains complaining, whining, disobedience. The chapter starts by explaining they were going into the journey in the wilderness. It says it was the 15th day of the second month. Look at verse 2 of Exodus chapter 16. It says, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Now look what they say. They're upping the ante. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. God says, look, fine. I'm going to literally rain food on you. If you're going to whine so much. He rains down quail from the sky and manna, which the Bible describes as light as snowflakes and flavored like honey. God says, look, don't, just take what you need. I'll provide more for tomorrow. But they don't listen. They take way more than they need. It all rots. It just, again, over and over and over, people are disobeying exactly what God tells them to do in the face of a miracle. Do you know that the desert makes you do crazy things? Desert seasons make us distrust. Desert seasons make us selfish. Desert seasons make us concerned about things we otherwise should know to be true. So again, we see this pattern. God does something amazing, but the people complain. God works a miracle, and they whine about it. God moves miraculously on their behalf, and they don't trust it. It's a pattern that we continue to see. I will give you one guess what we encounter in Exodus chapter 17. Yes, the pattern continues. They keep moving, and they, they camp at a place where there's little water. They complain, Moses, why would you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? Moses says, God, what do I do now? God says, strike a rock and water will come out for them to drink. Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. Moses named that place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because of the people of Israel argued with Moses, and listen to this, and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? First it was, where are we going? Then it was, why would you bring us here? then you should have killed us. Then is God even with us or not? We see in the same chapter, the Amalekites attack. Israel defeats them in an amazing battle. This is the story you're probably familiar where as long as Moses' hands were held up by Aaron and Hur, Joshua and the army had victory over the enemy. Exodus 19, God speaks to Moses on a mountain. He says, Moses, you know that I'm powerful. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. Obey me, keep my covenant. I will make this nation a special people. Promises. He's sowing promises and a future. He's making declarations. So Moses tells the people, they respond, we will do it, Moses. We will do everything God asks of us. God brings Moses on the mountain and speaks to him. People see lightning and thunder. Exodus 24, God calls Moses up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone on which God inscribed the commandments. He tells the people, then he goes up to the mountain. The glory of the Lord appeared upon the mountain summit like a consuming fire and Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher and higher and remained there for 40 days and 40 nights. I know I'm moving quickly, but I just want to give you this, just an overview of all the things happening from their deliverance to their journey in the wilderness. From Exodus 24 to 32, God is giving them the literal plans on what to do next. Wouldn't that be nice? God is just pouring knowledge and future and planning into his people. Finally, we get to Exodus 32, a pivotal chapter. Look at this, Exodus 32. 
When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited they were, built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. After reading all of that, after taking the time to read this to you, hopefully like me, you're struck with the question, how in the world could this happen? After everything that we just read, how is this their perspective? How do they find themselves here? I've taken this time so that we can see the journey that Israel has gone on. Let's recap really quick. Supernatural signs, plagues in Egypt to get them out, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, parting of the Red Sea, swallowing up the Egyptians, turning the bitter water sweet, quail and manna from the sky, water from a rock, the amazing defeat of the Amalekites, God's mighty power on a mountain, God taking Moses into the mountain like a consuming fire. So how in the world after all that could they possibly turn away from God? I don't know about you, but I, in my mind, I'm like, God, if you just did one of those things, I'd be set. If I drive out of this place after service and God rains a pillar of cloud right in front of me and starts like leading me where to go, I'm like, fine, let's, that's great. Let's go there. Turn the Google Maps off. In my mind, I would say, man, one of, if you just do one of those things, man, I would be set for life. But here's the reality. As I studied this, I came to this realization that brought such clarity to the entire plight of the Israelite people, and it resonates so strongly in me and my life, and I believe today many people in this room, because I believe we are in this story. You're on your own journey, through your own deserts, through your own wilderness, and God is with you, but here's the first thing that I want you to understand about the desert and the people of Israel. What God meant as preparation, the Israelites saw as punishment. What God designed, orchestrated, and laid out before the people of Israel as preparation for their journey, they never saw as such. A lot of times, I hate to break it to you, but many times your deliverance will look like a desert. Hear me today. Many times your deliverance will look much less like a promised land and much more like a desert. The people of Israel could not understand what God was doing. And even God told them. He said, there's a more direct route to the promised land. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, if I'm afraid if I take you that way and you encounter a battle too quickly, you'll turn back to Egypt. I've got to take you through the desert. That way, when you come to the promised land, you'll be ready to receive it. But no matter what God did, they only saw their desert as punishment. And because they saw everything through the lens of being punished by God, it did not matter what God did. And we do the same thing 
in our life, in our wilderness seasons. We hear preaching. We come to amazing church. We experience all of these things. Yet because our perspective is skewed, we see things as God's punishment upon us as opposed to God's preparation for what he has in store. Let's rewind in our, to our key text we read in, in chapter 14. God allows the Egyptians to pursue them and tells Moses, I planned this. Do you know why I love the story of the Red Sea? Because God's basically saying, Moses, I know this attack is coming. I know your back's against the wall. I know you can't move. I know it's impossible, and that's the point. I've orchestrated this because even in this, there is a purpose. I'm going to allow them to come. I'm going to allow them to get within an inch of you, then provide a way of escape that you can never do on your own. I'm going to show up in a miraculous way and turn that impossible situation into an escape for you. Let me tell somebody today, I believe that we get frustrated in our life because you feel like you're doing what God has asked you to do. You feel like you're moving in the right direction. But every time you look over your shoulder, you just feel like your past is chasing you. Maybe today, like the Israelites, you feel like you can never get away from where you've come. You feel like every time you turn around, that thing that held you bound one time is right there, right in the rearview mirror, just ready to encapsulate everything in your life again. But the story of the Red Sea tells me this. Because they trusted in God. They said, God, maybe at one point, God, Moses probably thought, God, why are you letting the Egyptians chase us? Why would you do this? Why would you let him change his mind? Why would you let him pursue me? And here's what I learned in this story. The reason that God allowed the Egyptians to pursue Moses and the people of God is because when they went through the Red Sea, that way of escape that he opened for him, the second that the Egyptians stepped into that same place, God removed that miracle and it swallowed up the Egyptians. So here's the lesson. When you trust God, he's going to destroy your enemy once and for all. You will never have to look over your shoulder again. Why? Because he's going to swallow them up in the depths of the sea. And I believe that same thing is going to happen in your life. You may be frustrated, feeling like you can never escape your past, but just trust me and keep walking on the path that God has given you because at the right time, those things that bothered you will never bother you again because our God is a miracle-working God. I'm excited about it today because I believe that you can experience freedom, a lasting freedom that will change your life. Trust God and move forward. God is trying to show Moses in this moment, and I believe someone here today, I'm letting it chase you so that I can destroy it. I'm not punishing you. I'm preparing you. I may be letting the enemy chase you. You may feel like your mistakes are chasing you. Your past is chasing you. What's happened to you is chasing you. You have felt like even though you're pursuing God, you just can't seem to get away some, from some things in your life. But I declare today that what once held you bondage in the past will never follow you again. But you've got to understand that God is not punishing you. God is preparing you. My message is not complex today. Somebody needs to realize this for your own life. Maybe God has blessed you, but you feel like you go from blessing into punishment. Maybe you feel like you go from a great Sunday to a terrible Monday. And you look at God and say, God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Why would you bring me here? And we look at the Israelites and we say, man, I can't believe they would do that. But do we do the same thing in our life? God, why would you let this happen? How did I get here? Why did you bring me here? This is difficult. I thought living for you was going to be easy. 
I thought making the right decisions was going to make my life simpler. I thought it was going to make my life easier. I thought giving my life to Christ was going to make my everything else just melt away. It was easier back in Egypt. You know, when I read that, I'm like, how could they say over and over that they wanted to return to Egypt? Seems crazy to me. But again, if you have an improper perspective, when you see what God is doing as punishment and not preparation, I believe there are times in our life where we will return and desire to return to bondage. You will look back at once had you chained and desire it, not because God's not good, not because God's not able, not because God's not working on your behalf, but simply because we refuse to see what God is trying to do through us. And bondage, you know, brings its own sort of twisted contentment. Because in some ways it's easy. It's simple. It's familiar. It's comfortable. But it's bondage. Let me remind somebody, because like the Israelites, there are times in our life When we look back over the decisions we've made, we look back over the battles we're fighting and say, man, is it really worth all this? Is living for God, is this really, is this it? Because some things seem a whole lot easier if I'll just give this up. And I want to encourage you today, it's preparation. God is not punishing you. God is preparing you. And we see this come to a head in chapter 32 to the extreme that the, the people completely turn their back on God. Because they thought they were being punished in the desert. And look carefully, it's not because things were bad. It's not because God wasn't doing what he said he would do. It's not because God went back on his word. Why? Because it was simply taking too long. If you don't trust the plans of God fully, the first thing you'll begin to distrust is the timeline of God. People knew the promises of God. They knew exactly what was going on. They saw the mountain. They saw Moses go up. It wasn't a mystery. But because they saw punishment instead of preparation, they took the timeline into their own hands and ruined everything. Someone needs to hear this today. You know, growing up, we used to sing a song when I was a kid. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Y'all remember that song? He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Someone needs to put themselves back in the timeline of God today. I shared this last night, this phrase, but I want to just say it again today. I believe that you cannot separate the plans of God from the process of God. Many of us want to see the plans of God come to pass, but we're not willing to go through the process that God has laid out for us. But let me just remind you, the process is worth it because God has promises for you. God has made promises to you. But you can't see the promises of God unless you go through the process of God. And yes, the process is difficult, but it is so worth it. It's worth it. The promises of God are worth it. And maybe the reason you're messed up today is not because God has changed, or God has changed his mind about you, or God has changed his will concerning you. You just don't want to wait. You're not satisfied with God's timeline. Maybe you keep going back to bad habits because you're not patient enough to wait on God to come through when you exhibit good habits. You keep going back to a bad relationship because you don't see the immediate benefits of what God has for you by saying no and moving away from that. Maybe you keep sacrificing your holiness, your relationship with God, your consecration for validation. You want to be validated by the world more than God. 
Let me say it this way. Somebody needs to stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. The enemy wants to tell you, you can have everything you want, and you can have it right now. You just have to do this. But God says, no, if you wait on me, I promise you my will will come to pass. It's not easy all the time. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you'll just trust with me, and you'll keep walking on the journey I've laid out for you, my promises will come to pass in your life. And that's something that we don't like to hear. Because this world promises everything right now. Stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. I'm trying to wake somebody up this afternoon because your desert isn't punishment. The wilderness you find yourself in today is not punishment. Maybe it's mental, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's a physical, maybe it's financial, and you're frustrated. And I'm not saying it's not a wilderness. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not negating what you're going through. I'm saying you've got to shift your perspective if you want to get what God has for you in this season. Because you're not being punished today. You're being prepared. Why? Because God has a future. How do I know that? Because it says it in its word. He says, I've got plans for you. I've got a future. And it's not for your destruction. I've got a hope for you. I've got something after this. Your story is not done being written. You've got to just wake up and realize, God, if I will persist, you're not punishing me. You're preparing me for something else. So what's the difference maker? What's the difference maker between preparation and punishment? Why did they see punishment and not preparation? Why do we see things this way and how can we avoid it? The missing ingredient, it's one word. So simple to say, so difficult to live out. Faith. Faith. Faith is the missing ingredient. Faith that God knows what he's doing. Because faith keeps you dedicated to the course. Faith is so important because we can't see exactly where God is taking us. We have to have faith. Now, in other areas of life, preparation is easy to understand and respond to accordingly because we know the outcome. A player on a basketball team, for instance, understands this. Team comes to practice. Coach begins barking orders. All right, everybody on the line. We're going to run suicides. If you never play basketball, you don't understand that phrase. It's just terrible, okay? It's awful, right? It's just running. It's lots of running. It's really terrible. And every you heard this, like, oh, you know, Coach, I'm hurting. I, got, I, I can see you later. I got a doctor's note. We're going to run suicide. Everyone on the baseline, we're going to run. Now, if a player sees that as punishment, it's going to affect the way he runs the drill, right? I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm just going to get by. I'm going to do whatever I can to get out of this. But a driven athlete knows that at the end of the week, there's a game. At the end of the season, there's a championship. And if he knows the goal, he knows where he's going, he's not going to see things as punishment. He's going to see them as preparation, Right? On top of that, even things that feel like punishment, he embraces. Why? Because he knows that it's strengthening him. So all of a sudden, he's not begging to leave practice. He's begging to stay. He wants more preparation. He wants to run more. He begs for more drills. He embraces the pain of change because he's pursuing the outcome he knows is waiting for him. You say, I'm not a basketball player. What are you saying? This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that somebody came in here and maybe your line of thought was, oh, the devil has been punishing me. The devil has just been beating up on me all week. I just drug myself into church. I barely made it. 
But I believe that if you have the right perspective, you can leave this place and you can say, you know what, devil? Why don't you just do your best? Because you think that you're damaging my walk with God. You think you're hurting me. You think you're punishing me. But you're not. You're preparing me. Because everything you do makes my faith stronger. Everything you do, God can use it for his glory. Somebody's got to shift their perspective and understand that even things that feel like punishment, God can use for preparation in your life. God can use for his glory. I know it's difficult, but it's worth it. Put yourself in God's hands. I'm excited this morning because I truly believe that if we wake up and understand that our desert seasons are not God's punishment upon us, it will change your life. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says it very simply. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. You know what? I think that somebody needs to open the filing cabinet of your memory and begin relabeling some of those memories. Every single one of us probably got a pretty big drawer, pretty big folder marked pain. But I want to challenge you. I challenge you this morning to rip off that label and rewrite preparation. Because you've been dragging around some things in your life, some painful things, and you don't know what their purpose has been, so you're just dragging them like a dead weight. But I believe this morning you can begin relabeling some things and say, God, it was so painful. It was so difficult. Yes, it was, but it wasn't for nothing. God, it may have been painful, but now that I'm on the other side, I can see, God, that you're using it now. I can see now it was a strengthening agent. Maybe it was difficult. So maybe someone, maybe you don't understand yet what it was for. Let me just give you some encouragement. The pain that you've experienced in your life is not useless pain. Why? Because God doesn't waste any season of life. God can use you. God can use those things in your life for his glory. You need to rewrite the line in that script of your life and say, thank you, God, for preparing me. So we jump back to Exodus 32. The people turned away from God. Moses comes down the mountain. He sees this, and he breaks the tablets. He has to go and correct the people. You look through the book of Leviticus. It's all about instruction. Look through the book of Numbers. They keep moving through the wilderness, complaining the entire way. Then we come to the other pivotal chapter, Numbers chapter 13. It says, the Lord now said this to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So the men go scout the land. They bring back a report. They say, we entered the land. It's incredible, flowing with milk and honey. But the people there were huge. They even had uh, giants. Skip down to verse 30. But Caleb, one of the spies, tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31, but the other men who explored him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land of the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people there were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Numbers 14, Numbers chapter 14 says, then the whole community began weeping aloud, They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Verse 4, then they plotted amongst themselves 
let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So here we see the consequences of their action. That brought me to a second realization. How can they look at the land of promise? This is what they've been preparing for. This is what God has promised them. This is what they've been journeying for. This is not a surprise. How can they now look at it and think there's no way we can conquer it? And this is what I realized. Since they saw punishment instead of preparation, they saw their desert as a sentence and not a season. Because they saw punishment instead of preparation, they thought it was God's sentence and not just a season they were going through. If they would have understood that the desert was God's preparation, they would have realized it was only a season of their life. But since they perceived their desert as punishment, they resigned themselves to the fact that it was also their sentence. If only they could have seen it as a season of their life, they could have learned the lesson that season offered. They would have taken advantage of that season They would have realized it's not permanent. I'm not sentenced to this for the rest of my life. I will have what God has promised me. But instead of preparation, they saw punishment. So instead of a season of life, they saw the sentence for their life. And look at this. Because of their disobedience, because of their refusal of God's promises, by their own hand, it did in fact become a sentence. You can read God's response at the end of Numbers chapter 14. He basically says, fine, you've got no faith. You've taken faith out of the equation. You've complained against me. You won't take the land I've told you. Everyone from this generation, 20 and up, will wander the wilderness for the rest of your life. You will not occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who said, we can take the land. So what was meant to be a season, what was meant to be preparation, turned into exactly what they thought, punishment and a sentence. And that is why I bring this to you today. Not because of what God did, not because of God's plan, not because of God's will, but because of their perspective and in spite of what God was doing. Their refusal to listen to God resulted in them doing the exact same thing they accused God of doing. At that point, it was too late for those Israelites who had rebelled against God They had decided their own fate. But I bring this to you today because I believe that there's somebody in the exact same position. Maybe you're pointing your finger back at God. Maybe you've accepted this is just the way things are. But I believe that God has a different end to your story. And the reason that two men were able to possess the land is not because they were any different. It's not because they were any better. It's not because there's anything special about them other than their perspective about what God put in front of them. The reason that God sent, they sent 12 men is not because two couldn't see the land. It's because they wanted a consensus on how they saw the land. Two men could see it, but they wanted men to come together and come to a conclusion. Will you stand with me today? I want to tell somebody, this season of life that you find yourself in, and as I said, I believe what I have today, the word that I believe God has given me for this church today is not... Maybe not as urgent for some as it is for others. I believe it's important, but I believe there is someone, maybe a few people, that this is an an urgent topic of your mind and spirit because you feel like you are in a desert season of your life. And you may not understand why, or maybe you understand exactly why. Maybe you're in a desert season because of your own choices. 
Maybe we're in a desert of our own making and we're frustrated. And I, what I, what my fear is that if you're in a desert of, of your own making, if you're in a desert season of the consequences of your action, is that your perception of that desert will not be that this is a season of life that God is going to bring me out of. My fear is that you're going to see it and say, this is a sentence. This is who I am. I can never get out of this. This is, this is how my life is going to be. But I want to just encourage somebody today that what has happened to you is not God's sentence over your life. It's just a season. Every season has a beginning and every season has an ending. Someone today, you need to shift your perspective because God's not punishing you. Maybe you're frustrated about circumstances and, and maybe your interpretation is, God, why did you do this to me? And that's revealing, that's telling because what it is is it's us saying, God, why are you punishing me? But I'm here today to say that God is not punishing you. I know it may feel like punishment. I truly believe with all of my heart when I look at this story, when I look at the two men, Caleb, when I look at these these two men that said that they could take the land, I understand that everything that felt like punishment was actually preparation for the promises of God. Someone today, you feel like you've been punished by God. You feel like you're being punished by God. You're not. You're being prepared. Is it painful? Absolutely. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm saying it's preparation. Somebody, you feel like you're serving the sentence of your decision. Maybe you feel like you're serving the sentence of someone else's actions or decisions. But to you, I say, it's just a season. And I believe that someone today, you can begin to come out of that season. What was it that prompted these men to come out of this desert season? It was their perspective. Sometimes it's not our circumstances that need to change. It's our perspective that changes. So you've been praying, God, remove this from me. Take this away. Change it. And I'm here today to say God may not change the situation. God may change you. You're not being punished. You're being prepared. And it's not a sentence. It's just a season. And finally, I'm appealing to people that you have pain in your life. Emotional, physical, maybe pain of the past. And this has been your prayer. Time and time and time again, you've prayed this prayer. God, take this pain away. I don't want it. I don't want to live with it. I don't want to carry it around. I'm tired of it. It hurts. It's weighty. And I'm not saying that prayer is wrong to pray. But I'm reaching to someone that you've prayed that prayer many, many, many times to no result. And you're frustrated at God because he hasn't taken that emotional pain away. You're frustrated at God because he's letting you endure the pain of that memory, of that past thing, of that situation. But can I just very cautiously tell you that I believe that God is here today not to take your pain away, but to show you his purpose through the pain that you've experienced. And that's a hard message to preach. And it's a hard prayer to pray. But let me just present to someone that maybe you need to shift your prayer not to, God, please take this pain away. Maybe your prayer needs to be today, God, show me. Show me how you intend to use this pain. How can you use this pain for my glory? The people had to go through a wilderness, but God said, you've got to go this way, otherwise you're not going to be ready for what I have in store. You've got to go through some pain. You've got to go through some wilderness. You've got to go through a desert, but that's the only way I can take you to the promises I have for you. Because if I take you straight there, you're not going to be ready. So maybe you're here today and you feel a little battered. You feel a little bruised. You feel a little frustrated. And you're like, God, just 
fix it, fix it. And God's saying, I'm not fixing it. I'm taking you through it. Because I don't want you just to go through this. I want you to grow through this. So to you, I say, I want you to change your perspective on that prayer. Today, I don't want you to pray, God, just remove the pain. I want you to pray, God, show me how you intend to use this pain. Right now, I want to open these altars. I want to invite you to come down and find a place to pray. Or if you're more comfortable, if you want to kneel right where you are and pray. But I encourage every single person to engage with the presence of God that is here. Because God is not punishing you. God is preparing you. You're not living a sentence for the rest of your life. It is just a season. And I believe that you're coming out of that season. But the catalyst of coming out of that difficult season may be your perspective about it. The situation may not change. Maybe it's your perspective that needs to change. And finally, I'm praying to that person struggling with pain. I know it's painful. But maybe God wants to show you His design for your pain. He may let you live through it because He's got a plan for it. Can we pray today? Can we respond to the presence of God? God, show me your perspective. God, let me see what you see, Lord. God, change my perspective. Change my sight, God. Let me see the land and say that I can take it. Can we pray?